Uh, it was it was joked that I would come up here and just uh, read from my thesis, which is 100 pages on the Trinity, um, which is funny because it's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm just kidding. It's it's going to be on knowing God versus knowing about God. Me and Bryn don't have the same connection that Chad and her have, obviously. Um, so my cues for her to put passages up here are probably going to be a little bit more obvious, but you might not notice. Um, so, Eagle Niner. Um, this is going to be sort of the springboard uh, for getting into what it, what it is I mean by uh, knowing God versus knowing about God. This is from Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Um, so over, the, over this week, really, these four weeks, I'm going to be discussing what theologians have literally toiled with over the centuries, some of God's most fundamental attributes. And many of them agree, uh, probably most of them, and, and I among them, that we only really know God analogically. So we know God uh, like an analogy or, or maybe a simile, which basically when we say God is love, we're really saying God is, is like what I understand love to be, or, or God is powerful uh, translates to, God is like what I understand power to be, but he's much more than that. God is what I understand love to be, but much more than that. And we, and we say that as a way of tacitly admitting that God exceeds uh, the boundaries of our, our language and definitions. Um, so I don't, I don't want anyone here to think that when I'm discussing the attributes of God that I'm like, I got God figured out. Like, I, I know exactly uh, what's going on, because I don't. Um, but it, it would be like if, if we were to go to Mount Hood, and I'm with you, and I see the mountain, and I say to you, you know, you should, uh, you should embrace that mountain. You should literally put the entire length of your arms around the whole thing and, like, touch. You would look at me and think that that was absurd, and rightly so, because it's impossible. But if, if I told you to just reach out and touch the mountain, you, I mean, you could do it. You might think, why are you asking me to do that? But you could do it. It would be possible. So in, in this sermon series, I'm not going to be asking you to embrace mountains. I'm going to ask you to reach out and touch it and, and be better for it. So we... We can't wrap our heads around God, but we can reach out into the vastness and marvel at how much God has chosen to reveal to us. And that's what I, I want to do in this sermon series. So when we talk about God, God's attributes, I don't hear me saying that I, I really have the best understanding of God. But I, I know what God has revealed to us, and there are some awesome things in that. But it reminds me of the story of St. Augustine. Some, some of you may have heard this, but 
it's from my thesis because it's on the Trinity. But he's walking along the beach and he's thinking about the Trinity. He's literally trying to understand God's very nature. Like, I'm going to figure this out. You know, I just need to think on it long enough. And he's walking and walking and then he kind of, something catches his attention. And there's this boy who had dug this hole on the beach And he's frantically running back and forth from the water to the hole with a bucket, filling the bucket up and pouring it into the hole. And Augustine's like, you know, this is bizarre, but I'm going to watch it. So he watches it for a little bit, trying to figure out, like, I don't get it. What is this boy doing? So finally, he's just like, you know what, boy, what are you trying to accomplish You know, and the boy just says, well, I'm trying to get all of the ocean into this hole. And Augustine was a smart guy. He's a church scholar, so he very quickly realized that all the ocean wasn't going to fit into that little hole. And so he said, boy, all of the ocean is not going to fit into that little hole. And, And then the boy said something remarkable. He said, that's right. And why do you think that you can fit the Trinity into that little head of yours? And then the story has the boy just disappearing. True or not, the message there is what matters, and that is we are not going to fit all of God into our brains. But we can fit what he revealed to us in there. Ironically, the... uh, church has formed something called um, the doctrine of incomprehensibility, which essentially says God does exceed the boundaries of our imagination. So there's going to be things where we just have to go, it's God. That, you know, and it always bugged me when I had uh, conversations with a certain someone who, when we were like discussing theology, and I got him in a corner, like, you're not escaping. He'd say, wait, God is amazing. And that was like the trump card. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what am I going to do? He is amazing. I mean, you got me. Um, oh, yes. Eagle Niner. Eagle Niner. Um, right here, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So the the reason, you're probably wondering, why am I talking about knowing God versus knowing about God if I'm going to be talking about God's attributes? It's like, shouldn't I be talking about God's all-powerful nature or God's all-goodness or how he knows everything, his omniscience? Well, I want to make sure that we're not just learning facts uh, about God. Um, Because if we don't allow uh, these facts or what we know about God to affect our our very lives, to penetrate our hearts and to become part of our living reality, then we do it all in vain. We're like people who honor with our lips, but our hearts are far from God. And so the first point that I want to make is a contrast uh, between uh, knowledge from intimacy Verse knowledge from facts. And I'm going to argue that the Bible really describes knowledge of God 
relationally. So it's not about rote memorization or uh, getting verses of God's nature uh, memorized in our brains, uh, but it's about living in a relationship with Jesus. And that's how we come to know God. Um, To set this up, this is going to be a weird story. But um, I work at Costco. I'm going to make this more real. Okay, so I'm working at Costco, right? And uh, I'm at the exit door. And I I don't know if you've ever had someone be like so excessively vulnerable like to a complete stranger, like out of the blue. This is someone who is so outrageously honest to you um, that you don't really know how to respond. So I, I'm at the exit door, and I have to check receipts as they come out, and it's super menial. But okay, blah, 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 I do it, I'm doing it, whatever. You know, how are you is what you ask. That's the social standard. You know, how are you? You know, and they say, I'm great. And you say, yeah, me too, whatever, see you later. Um, and, and I smile. That's part of the, the thing, the Costco way. You smile. So, hey, how are you? Awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, $450 later. Am I right? Um, and uh, I have someone come up to me, and I, same thing. You know, I'm going through the motions. Hey, how are you? Ah, you know, I lost my whole family. Ah, you know. And, and I'm already smiling, so you do, you do that little, like, I've got to change. Like, oh. Like, I'm, am I smiling or not? Like, joking? Or, like, is this real life or not? Because that's really, really sad. And, and then you can't, you can't respond the same way because, you know, they break that social boundary by saying, you know, I lost my whole family. But then, then they come right back and say, and how are you? I mean, you don't say, well, I'm great, man. See you later. You, you got to like, I don't know. It's like nature where you got to like participate in that somehow. So it's like, shoot, I jammed my toe this morning, man. It hurt pretty bad, but I mean life, right? What are you going to do? You know, as a more tangential note, I feel like maybe sometimes God feels that way about us. Like, we don't even want to be in a relationship with him. We're essentially strangers in our own life to God, but when we have problems, we run to him like, oh my gosh, this, that, this, that. And it's like, so you come to me now, or you say this now. Um, that's not really part of it. The, the reason I say this is because the moment I, I really understood the profundity of the distinction between uh, an intimate relationship um, so an intimate knowledge of God versus just an aboutness, a factual understanding of God, um, was when I had a professor who did this very thing where he was just vulnerable at a completely unexpected time. It was my freshman year, and we were talking about uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, views on, uh, you know, the tribulation, which is, um, you know, uh, the whether or not people are going to be here before or after the tribulation, this is um, the time of uh, basically destruction in the old time, and whether or not 
Jesus will reign before or after, you know, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, all this weird stuff, right? But I'm in the front row, and I'm just like, yes, writing it down. That's my kind of thing. I love that. Facts. Put them in. And then my uh, professor starts to talk about his mother, and his tone is kind of changing, and he's saying how his mother had a John Darby study Bible and how, man, she she had passed away, but he's saying how, she knew that Bible left and right. And sometimes he, he kind of joked about how uh, she even might have thought the study notes were as inspired as the Bible. That's how much she just read that thing. And then he stopped and he looked up. You know, and I'm sitting there like, uh, hello. I mean, I'm still <laughs> notes here, right? And he says, but you know what? When I die and I go to heaven, and I see my mom, and I see God, I could say, but God, you know, my mom had a lot of things wrong. I know way more than her. You know, I, I know more. God is going to say, no, she knew me. She understood me. And he stopped and just was silent for a little bit. Not looking at us, but just kind of looking up. And I'm uncomfortable. And I'm like looking behind me like, is anyone else hearing this? Because this is weirdly, awkwardly vulnerable. And then he just kept going like nothing happened. And I literally, I don't remember half the things he said in that class. I'm sure I have the notes somewhere. But I remember that moment. The moment that he absorbed the reality that facts about God matter far less than an intimate knowledge of God. My, um, oh, reminds me of a Seinfeld episode, sorry. Yada, yada, yada. I'll just say that. Um, Be, the word for um, knowledge uh, in the Old Testament comes from the Hebrew word yada. And we know that this has some uh, intimate sort of nuances. Um, in uh, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 4.1, it's one of the first uses of the word knowledge, which, I mean, it, all, it means, you know, how we think of it, but... Uh, in this instance, it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, like he, he knew her. Nine months later, bam, Cain, their son. So this word has some pretty dang intimate connotations. And throughout the Old Testament, it also means just an awareness of something, something, you know, a word that we know and that we use today. But still, that, that intimacy is there. Um, I, I think about how if someone came up to me and said, you know, your mother loves her kids. And they might say that because someone told them that, hey, your mom really loves you. Or because they believe all mothers love their kids. But I, I remember a story in, when I was 
five, six, I don't know. I'm not very good with ages of myself in past events. I was young, though. You know, I was in Ramona, California. My dad was a pastor of a church called Ramona First Baptist. And uh, he was already at church, but my mom, with her three kids, so me and my brother and sister, was getting into the minivan. She was frantically moving because we were probably running late because that's what happens when you have three kids and you're part of the Connery family. Um, And she was moving frantically and frantically, and our driveway was on a pretty steep slope, and she had the door open, uh, the little sliding door, so she's on the passenger side, and I was in my booster seat already, and then all of a sudden, I don't know how, the van starts to just go down, it starts to drop down into the street, it's, it's going there, and I remember just the sheer panic on my mother's face, it was utter fear, but I also remember the complete resolve and determination in her movements. It was Mission Impossible style. She bulleted around to the driver's side and she is like nose diving through the window. And her, so her body's hanging over and she's just reaching, trying to grab the emergency brake. And, you know, she finally yanks it up and her body slams against the window uh, or the inside of the window and she doesn't even care. She runs around and checks and she's sobbing and just to make sure that we're okay. And I, I knew, even though I was young, I knew that if, if she believed that if she threw her body in front of those wheels, she would have done it. She would have done it for us. And so if someone comes up to me and says, your mother loves her kids. I can say, my mother loves her kids. Not because I heard it. Not because someone told me. Not because I just believe all mothers love their kids. But because I know it in my bones. I feel it. I've participated in that. And that's how God wants us to know him not as something we read, but as something that penetrates our very being. So we can say, I know God. I know my mother loves her kids. Um, which, Which brings me to my second point, which is intimate knowledge is born out of true love for Jesus. So intimate knowledge comes from love. Eagle Niner. Yes. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. God does not particularly care if our actions appear to be holy. He cares whether or not our holy actions come from a purified heart. Are they born out of a relationship with Jesus Christ? For people in Jesus' day that, you know, 
did all of the movements, but they didn't have that written on their hearts. They didn't have it just in their bones. Jesus said, I, I never knew you. But you, you might say, well, I mean, come on, Jesus is Mr. Alpha and Omega. Of course he knew them, right? I mean, if you want to be considered all-knowing, it helps not to admit when you've forgotten someone, right? And that's how we kind of know that Jesus is referring to that intimate knowledge here. He's not saying, you, you know, I don't know of you. Saying, you don't know me. You know, you never, you never came to me and said, God, I want to I commit my life. I want to listen to those things that you said about everlasting life. I want to live for you. I want to die for you. I want to die to myself so I can be in your presence day and night. You know, that relationship part, you never, you never did that. And that's what he's referring to here. Um, I know that many of you, probably all of you, have someone that you're just really, really close with. Uh, for me, it's, it's my wife. And if, uh, if someone, you know, said, you know, I, I really know your wife. And I said, I, okay, yeah, sure. Like, uh, and then they said, I, I, I never met her, but I know her. But I know, you don't know my wife. And, and then they might protest and say, well, hey, I kind of got uh, her journals, which my wife is not a certifiable hoarder, but very close to it. She's got like boxes of things she's written down when she was like two years old. I was like, that's not even a word, that's a picture. Yeah, but it means something to me. Okay. And just of journals that she's had her whole life. So someone's like, I, I found those and I read them. I probably know some facts about your wife that you don't even know. And you know what? That could be true. But you don't know my wife. There, there may have been uh, facts that I missed along the way. Or facts that I haven't come to know yet because we haven't had those conversations yet. But we will. But you don't know my wife. I know my wife. We can, we can share a glance and have a conversation. And it's done. I remember we, we met with our realtor just, just recently, and um, he was, uh, well, it was our insurance guy at the time. Sorry, he's both. Um, he was talking about insurance, and, uh, you know, you need insurance. You know, just, you know, you think about the case of uh, the woman who poured coffee on herself at McDonald's, and she got like a million bajillion dollars. And my wife and I, we know a lot about that case. We know a lot about it. And it's kind of always uh, portrayed sort of poorly. Uh, in the media. I mean, the, the woman was a very old lady who was in the backseat of an unmoving car and spilled coffee on her legs and third-degree burns, and she almost died. And all she said was, I want McDonald's to pay for my medical bills, and they wouldn't. They're like, we'll give you 300 bucks. And so she sued him, and yeah, it turned out to be a multi-million dollar thing. Um, but we didn't say that. We didn't stop and be like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> let's, let's fix that. We just, hmm, eyes, hmm back. 
That was it. And we knew. We had it. I know the difference between a I'm mad at you sigh and an I'm just frustrated with the world sigh. Right? There's more of a versus a I know, I know the difference between whether she's stomping her feet because she's angry or because she's just rushing. You know, we have moments and jokes we can make without words because we share an intimate relationship with one another. If that person who said they knew my wife saw her walking home late at night all by herself and said, came up to her and said, hey, I know all about you, my wife would probably say something just like Jesus said here. Uh, get away from me. I don't know you. But if I met my wife late at night walking home, we would hold hands and we would walk together because I know my wife. That's what God wants from us is that sort of relationship. So my next point, however, is we know Oh, no, no, this is good. Sorry, I don't want to skip this. I have some time. Um, so one of the ways that we know that love is uh, the way that we get uh, into uh, that intimate knowledge of Christ is actually by looking at how God has tried to redeem the sin of unknowing him, of un-knowing him. So if, if we look at uh, Peter's denial of Christ, which he did three times, um, Eagle Niner, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. Peter followed at a distance, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. I don't know him. Now, we know that this is not just some superficial understanding of no, because, you know, she knew him in that sort of way. It's not like what we'll say, like, hey, you know who Ryan Gosling is? Like, yeah, I heard of the guy. It's not like that. I mean, because she's heard of Jesus, right? A lot of people have heard of Jesus and know who Jesus is. When she says, you know, you were with him, and he says, I don't know him, he's denying the intimate relationship, right? She's saying, you were with him. You were like, you know, together, like friends, and, and you followed him, and you listened to him. And it happens again, too. Then he went out to the gateway, Peter, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And of course, this is not superficial either. I mean, because a lot of people were with Jesus. The Pharisees were with Jesus. The teachers of the law were with Jesus. People who wanted Jesus crucified were at many of his teaching gatherings. No, when she says, you were with Jesus, you were part of the pack. You believed what he was saying. You were in an intimate relationship with him. That's what he is disclaiming. 
when he says, I don't know him. I don't have intimate knowledge of this man. And it happens one last time, Matthew 26, 71 through 72. No, 26, 73 through 74. After a while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. So for the last time, he sought to unknow Jesus. And we know that this them, right, you're one of them as, you know, the mysterious other. You're not just one of those people that were, you know, knew him superficially or were with him superficially. You're one of them, one of the people who said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I will listen to what he says. I will allow this man's words to effectively change my life in every way. But he, he denied that. But when Jesus died and then he resurrected and he met with Peter, he knew redemption was needed. We need to redeem this unknowing. And how did Jesus do it? Uh, John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These are the three questions that parallel the three denials. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Love is always the most crucial element of intimate knowledge. God desires intimate knowledge of him because he desires our love. Uh, the author of John says as much. Uh, in John 4.8 it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God made love a prerequisite of knowing him. Just like someone can't really say they know my wife if they've never met her, so we can't say that we know God if we don't have any love for him. Love is crucial to intimacy. So just like the Bible says that God desires intimate knowledge and this intimate knowledge comes from love, it also says that this love is shown through obediency. So if my last point that I said was uh, that intimate knowledge is born out of true love for Jesus, then the final point is true love for Jesus is born out of obedience. So knowledge through intimacy, intimacy through love, and love through obedience. You know, and it's probably bad that this is one of my go-to passages in my marriage. Um, it's uh, John fourteen fifteen. It says, 
Maybe I didn't give that to you. It says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Um, so a tangential note about why context matters. Um, you know, I, I like to joke around with my wife every once in a while and ask her, you know, hey, do you love me? And of course, she'll dutifully respond that she does. And then I'll tell her to do some wildly absurd thing. And then, of course, she'll say, I'm not going to do that. And I'll say, but, but honey, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Right? Of course, you can't use it that way. It's Jesus saying this. That's why context matters. But it, it does show that John is trying to make it clear that love comes from obediency. Uh, he said, um, we know, he, he makes this direct connection in 1 John 2, 3, which I think I did give to you. 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So he makes a direct connection that knowing God comes from following God's commands. And this idea that um, God just really desires our obediency um, when it comes to love, is, it, I think is hard to understand culturally because in our culture, you know, love is, love is a word that we use for that feeling we get sometimes where it's like warm and fuzzy. And it's, it's so strange that we use the same word for pizza that we use for relationships, right? I mean, Chad loves to say he loves everything, right? You go to a movie with him, and you'll be five minutes in, and you'll be like, I love this movie. It's my favorite. Like, there's no way. There's no way you already love this movie, and it's your favorite. We're like five minutes in. He's like, I love it. It's my favorite. All right. But it's, it's so strange. So culturally, love is this cheapened word. Um, but for God, it's so robust. You know, it's, it's packed full of more meaning than warm and fuzzy. Because God says you demonstrate your love by being obedient to what I say. The story of Hosea has um, Hosea, a prophet of God, um, who's told to go marry a prostitute. Um, and and this, the whole story, God's trying to demonstrate what it's like for him to love us. Or I mean, in this case, it's Israel. Like, we just keep running away. We're unfaithful. So Hosea marries this prostitute, Gomer. And, you know, it's going kind of smoothly at first, I guess. I mean, they have a son, Jezreel, and all right. But then she starts to run off with other lovers. I mean, these, these lovers are promising her all the, the riches that a, a material world, a decadent world, can supply her. And so she's going back and forth between Hosea and these other lovers. And, you know, all along the way, it doesn't say this, but maybe she was saying to Hosea, I love you, I love you, I love you. But which are you to trust? The words or the actions that contradict them? And I feel like we see that in our own culture today, where so many people are saying, yeah, I'm Christian, yeah, I love God and Jesus, yeah. But their entire life is a testament to the opposite. Can you love? Can you know God? 
if your whole life is a practice of disobedience against Him? No, frankly, no, you can't. Knowing God stems from obedience. And so when we go forward in, into the following weeks, I, I just, we really need to have this in mind. That we don't want to be people who are looking for facts about God. We, we want to be people who know about God's power, not because we read it, but because we've seen it rot in our very lives. We don't want, we don't want to be people who say, God is all-knowing because someone told me that was the case. But we want to be people who say that because we've seen God's providence in our own lives or in the lives of those we know. And we don't want to say that God is all good because we sung it in a song one time. But we want to be able to say that because we see God's grace unfold in our very lives through a relationship with Him. And I want this sermon series to be one that seeks that sort of intimate knowledge. So we can examine our own lives and wonder whether or not we're in it for the facts or we're in it for the real deal. That intimate knowledge that God has revealed to us. That knowledge that we get through intimacy, through love, and through obedience. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for being a God who comes down to us with a promise to love us in relationship. And I pray that we would be people who want to know about you, not for the facts, but for how close it brings us to you. God, I pray that we would just seek to absorb into our lives knowledge of you. That it would not be something that makes our brains happy, but it would be something that chains, changes our very being, something that, that goes into us and we will never be the same. God, I pray that we, we learn to know you intimately through love and through obedience. And I pray that you would be with the, this sermon series, God, and that you would uh, speak to um, to the hearts of people who are listening as you've spoken to mine just preparing it. Uh, we love you so much in your name. Amen.